All right, welcome everybody. Welcome to you at home or on the rim or wherever you are, kicking back, sitting by a log fire and enjoying the cooler temperature. Don't worry about us. We're fine. We're going to be all right. Uh, Have a great weekend, though. Glad you're tuning in, and I hope today is a blessing to you. For those of you in the house, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at Copper Hills, and I am so delighted that we're together this Labor Day weekend. Together, right? We're suffering for Jesus in the heat, and that's good. Um, Hey, uh, you saw the bumper, and uh, this is what uh, comes up. This is us. And if you're new to Copper Hills, or maybe this is the first of the last five weekends that you're checking in, can I quickly bring you up to speed with what we've been doing? We, uh, at the very beginning of this collection of talks, we went to a passage of Scripture, which is really a letter that's written by a guy by the name of Paul. And if you're new to the the Christian faith or new to the scriptures, you may not know who that is, but let me simply say he is the most influential leader of the Christian church in the first century, maybe ever. I think maybe ever. If you're ever interested in reading his story, you'll find a tab in your New Testament part of your Bible called Acts. And if you go to around chapter seven or eight, something like that, it reads like a captivating, dramatic story. Check out how it all comes about for him. It's a surprising story indeed that he tells. But in any event, he becomes this dynamic leader within the early days of the church. Uh, He starts like 14 or 15 churches in the Roman Empire uh, under the the guidance of the Caesars. And uh, along the way, one of his protégés starts a church in the city of Colossae, kind of in the Asia Minor or Turkey. We notice Turkey today. And uh, Paul never visits this church, but he has a deep concern for it because he wants to make sure they get something right because if they get this wrong, they get it all wrong. And it's this. He wants them to know who it is that they follow. And they can never deviate from it. They can't switch from it because there's only one, and his name is Jesus. And this is what he writes. It won't come up on the screen, but I just want to read this over you. This is where we began five weeks ago, referring to Jesus. He says he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. He was there at the beginning when it all came together. Things in heaven and things on earth, visible, invisible, stuff you can't see he created. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And this is the part that we've looked at the last four weeks. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have preeminence. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. As I said, the first four weeks of this collection of talks, we've been looking at how Jesus is the head of the church, and if he's the head of the church, how we take our direction from him. We look at his values and what he taught, and that's by the power of God's spirit in us. That's who we are, and that's who we're becoming. What I want to do tonight on this Labor Day weekend is I want to look at the verse just before it, and it's a really profound, wonderful thing that Paul writes for us. He says, Jesus is before all things, and you can underline this if you're following along. In him, all things hold together. We live as people of the scriptures who believe that that's actually true, that Jesus holds all things together. In a 
time in our world, in our culture, where it seems chaotic and things seem to be coming apart and this virus seems to have no end with new variations happening and the tension over vaccines and not vaccines, all that is going on from Afghanistan to hurricanes, it just all feels a little chaotic, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. If you're alive, it does. And here's the, here's the, the truth that trumps it. Jesus has it. He's got his arms around this. It, it can only go so far because he's on it. And if you're there at the beginning and you're going to be there at the end and you're making everything happen and you can make something out of nothing and you can sustain things, he's got it. He does. He's not befuddled. That's a great word. I wrote in my notes. He's not befuddled. By this stuff going on, he's not scratching his head going, well, what do I do now? Look at the mess they've made of it. <laughs> no. He is, he's got his arms around it. And that is a great definition of hope. So what I want to do today is I want to look at what the scriptures teach us about hope. Now, we've been looking at Jesus, and does it strike you as odd? There's not a single reference in all of his red letters, which are quotes from him, where he uses the word hope in the sense of him being hope for us. But those that followed him, those that lived with him, they are replete with ideas and thoughts of hope, but not just hope as in optimism, hope in him and what he is about. And because we really believe that he is hope, we are agents of hope in our world. We actually affect the culture around us, the places where we work. This is Labor Day weekend. The places where we go to school, our neighborhoods, we actually can set the culture based on the hope that we have in that truth. Do you believe that? Because this is the uniqueness that we bring into times of chaos, that we aren't chaotic. In a time of fear, we're not afraid. We're not just optimistic and positive that it's all going to turn out in the end. That's not hope. There's something different. This last summer, as I was recovering from hip replacement surgery, I had a lot of time to lay flat on my back and do what I don't normally do, but I did a lot of it. I, uh, I channel surfed. And it's, uh, it's a Tuesday night. And I'm channel surfing, I think it's NBC, and on comes this cult phenomena called... America's got talent, right? We are a talented group of people from acrobats to singers to comedians to the strangest abilities that people have, like really odd stuff. And if you're not familiar with the show, I think it's in its 16th season, and uh, they gather this group of talented people from around the country. They get to display their talent, what they do, and then the initial shows, I believe the judges can eliminate you if you didn't make the grade, but later on the public gets to vote on it, right? Well, this particular Tuesday night, I met Jane Markuski. Now, you don't, maybe don't know that name if you are a follower of America's Got Talent. You might know her as Nightbird. When I saw her perform and I heard her story, Something happened to me around hope. She's a 30-year-old singer from Ohio and has experienced some real tragedy in her life. And in fact, it's ongoing in her life even now, uh, even today. But when I saw her story, it invoked, evoked hope in me. 
because she is a person of hope. Watch what happens in your heart, in your mind, as you watch her story. So what goes through the hope index of your life when you see somebody like that? That golden buzzer meant that she could get right through to the live show toward the end of the series of shows, but she had to withdraw because her cancer is back and she needed to concentrate on that health issue in her life. Subsequent to the show, I've watched a variety of interviews that, have, that she's done. And what Hollywood won't tell you is that she loves Jesus. And uh, she's part of a worship team in the church that she uh, has been part of. You know, she graduated from Liberty University. And uh, in the interviews that she's done subsequent to that, she says things like this. If something so impossibly catastrophic, unimaginably awful can happen, then doesn't it mean that something unimaginably beautiful and impossibly redemptive can happen too? See, if you don't know Jesus, how do you come up with that idea? See, hope isn't in the circumstance, right? Hope is in the God that's beyond the circumstance, even when the circumstance doesn't change. He's got his arms around it. This is the nature of our Savior. The note that I've been given, she says, the note that I've been given to sing in the orchestra of life is short and insignificant, truly. But I want to sing it well, she said. I want to sing it well. She was asked by an interviewer at one point, uh, isn't that just blind, naive denial? To which she says, no, it's not blind denial, it's just rebellious hope. Isn't that great? It's wonderful to be optimistic. It's a positive quality. It will attract people to you. People will like you at work because we like optimistic people. But you know what we really want? We want hopeful people around us because they're the ones that it doesn't, optimism doesn't always like turn to something good and then optimism weighs if it's just a personality. But when it's built on something else, actually another person, one who's great and one who's good and one who's loving and one who creates and one who's present and the one who has his arms around it, the one who's preeminent over everything. See, when our hope is in him, we leave the circumstances and the outcomes to him. And that's evidence of hope. Jesus' friends, after his resurrection, were chock full of hope stories and hope messages. Their whole theology seems to shift at the resurrection, as it should, to one of hope because Jesus is alive. Jesus' loudmouth friend, Peter, if you're familiar with his story, he just says things that are just so inappropriate at times, and, but it's just his personality, right? He gets to the end of his life. He's an old man. And now, I guess he reflects a little bit. He's um, mellowed out a little bit, as happens. And uh, he's right. he writes to a series of churches in Asia Minor. Remember, I mentioned Colossae. It's one of the, the churches in that area. But he writes to a whole group. 
And uh, in it, he wants to describe for them something of what is theirs in hope. This is what he writes. Maybe put it up on the screen for us. He says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. See, not just a hope, but a living hope. What's a living hope? It's, it's based on a, a person who's alive. And he says it's Jesus who's alive, and that's who the hope is in. Another, back to Paul, who I mentioned earlier, he writes so much about hope, and uh, it's such a significant part of his story and what he teaches. If you were to uh, go to the book of Romans, which again, it's a wonderful read. If you want to read kind of the, the theological base of what the Christian faith is, takes you from zero to all the way through to the culmination of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a true Christian, read that. It's really be helpful for you. But along the way, toward the end of this uh, chronicle, I guess you could say, of the Christian faith, Paul comes to the end of it and he says, I, I want to drop something into your mind. I want you to think about something. And this is what he writes in Romans 15, 13, he says, this is what I hope for you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just leave it on the screen for a second. Okay, that just kind of supports what I said, but if you don't get the context of what he's writing into here, it doesn't quite land with the same thud that it would have landed in the first century. You see, to us, we love hopeful people. We're attracted to them. We're compelled by them, right? Like they, they make a difference where we are. They're agents of hope. But did you know in the first century, hope was not a character quality that was very well respected? In fact, it was thought of as a weakness. It was thought of like a moral quotient in the Roman culture that you just didn't, you didn't want to have. Let me take you to Acts for just a second. It won't come up. But in Acts chapter 17, remember it's the chronicle of how the church gets started and Paul's story is in chapter 7 and 8. He goes on to start a whole bunch of other churches along the way. And uh, on one of his world tours with the good news of who Jesus is, he comes to the city of Athens in Rome. Now, the city of Rome in the Roman Empire was the center of power and of governance. Athens was the center of philosophy and thought. And in the Greek culture, those were almost co-equal because the Caesars listened very much to the philosophers of the day. We read that Jesus arrives in Athens and he goes down to the local marketplace, probably a street that was lined with businesses and uh, it became the hub of activity in, a, in the city. And this is where the philosophers would go to have coffee and dispense their wisdom to the populace. As Paul comes into that part of the city, he stops and he encounters two philosophical schools of thought. One is the Epicurean philosophy and the other is the Stoic. And uh, just a little background too, the Epicureans were people that didn't believe that the pantheon of gods really were involved in everyday life. They were off in some utopian distant place, uninvolved with the things that were happening here. So they didn't know what was going on in people's lives and they didn't really care what was happening in people's lives. So you could do whatever you wanted to, you weren't accountable to them. And so you just kind of lived your life as it was and you didn't need hope in anything because you were the master of your own destiny. If it was going to be, it was up to me. And they just lived that way. And they thought the greatest hope was fulfilling the greatest pleasure that I have in my life. And that's what they would do. Well, that doesn't bring much hope, honestly. But 
when pleasure is what you base things in, you just try to up the ante in the pleasure place. And so you just go further and deeper in that. But that was their philosophical view. Hope, if you had, if you, if you had hope, you weren't taking control of your own life. You were based on basing it on something else. The Stoics, on the other hand, said everything is reason. You can think your way out of it. You can plan your way out of it. You can strategize your way out of it. It all has to have reason. There's no such things as miracles. And a resurrected Savior, that's just fantasy and myth. So if you have hope in a resurrected Savior, he, you're, like, you're intellectually really weak. You're not all that smart. And so to have hope was not seen as a character quality that you really wanted. You were seen as like naive or you were seen as weak. And into this environment, Paul writes about hope in ways that must have gone, are you kidding me? It's that big a deal. This is what he writes. Let's go back to that Romans 15 passage. This is what he writes. He says, may the God of hope, in your face, the God of hope. He's not just God who gives hope. He's the God of hope. It's innate in him who he is. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't say, may the God of optimism fill you. And may your lives overflow with optimism. See, as we said, optimism is something that you predict a good end result, a preferred future, and you're optimistic that that circumstance is going to come about. That's optimism. Hope, on the other hand, is even if that circumstance does not ever change, I have someone who's going to make sense of it somehow, some way, at some point. My hope is in him, not how it turns out. You see, that's a radically different kind of hope than what we often see. And you know something? You and I are agents of that hope in our world, where we work, where we play, where we go to school. We're agents of that. Just like Nightbird, when you show up at work and you have not just an optimistic personality, but you have a genuine restful hope in a God who's good all the time and has it. You go about your day just different. And it's compelling and it's interesting. I'll tell you, in our day, in our place, in our time right today, hope shines. It shines like a city on a hill. Oh, wait, that sounds like a quote, doesn't it? It is. One day Jesus gathers a group of people who didn't have much hope in their culture. They really didn't. They were the marginalized and the weak and the not put together and the struggling and the sick and the deserted. That's who they were. And Jesus gathers them on a hillside and says, oh, I got to tell you something. When you find life in the kingdom of God, when you find that you can take all that is your, your little kingdom or queendom and you turn it over and you put it under God's kingdom, you discover something that you might not have anticipated there. You find a hope that's unusual and it's good and you actually, not just in hope in a whole bunch of ways, but let's look at hope. You actually become a city on a hill. This is what he writes in Matthew. He says, you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill and it cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds 
and what? And praise your Father in heaven. You and I get to be agents of hope in this world because Jesus gives us hope. I find it, found it interesting when I was watching America's Got Talent and uh, Jane's story, I noticed some markings on her, I think it's on her right arm. And he couldn't figure out what it was. It just looked like a series of dots on her arm. And uh, so as I heard a little bit more of her story, it is in fact seven dots on her arm. This is uh, on her right arm. You can just kind of see it there, I circled it for you, those seven dots. Do you know what that's about for her? It's about a proverb, Proverb 24, 16, that says this. For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again, but the wicked are brought down by the calamity. And to hear her story, she says, I put seven dots on my arm to remind me that I get up every time I do. And every time something, another diagnosis comes, every time another sad thing, another discouraging, disappointing thing happens, I'm going to get up one more time because I'm super optimistic. No, because she's discovered something about a God that is true and honest and right and is trustworthy. I met with a friend this last week. I have so much respect for him. He's uh, semi-retired from a national role with a company here in, uh, in the U.S. And uh, these last years, uh, after his retirement, he has devoted his time to helping teenage boys who are stuck in the quasi-foster care system in our state. They're wards of the court, but they're teenagers, and uh, oftentimes, they're not really wanted. Not only were they maybe not wanted by their parents, or maybe their parents have passed, whatever it would be, they're, they're moved very often from group home to group home to group home because of behavioral issues sometimes, or what happens oftentimes, I'm, I'm told, is that there will be a group home leader who's there for a period of time, maybe months or you know, a year, and then they move on to go to something else. And every time that happens, these teenage boys and girls for sure, but he works with teenage boys, once again learn that you don't stick around and you're not all that trustworthy to be there. So he's just come along with these group of, small group of guys, one in particular, who has been such a difficult young teenager to be with. He has behavioral issues. He has dependency issues. He's addicted to some stuff and has a really hard time with school because some of the effects of the emotional trauma and physical trauma he's been through just make learning hard for him. And uh, he'll be in and out of relationship with my friend, and uh, yet my friend has persevered and walked alongside him. I had a chance to meet both of them this last week. And uh, to watch what is happening in that young man's life as there's a consistency to who my friend is in his life. You can see from the story that my friend tells that there is hope growing in that young man. And with that, some behavior is changing. Some worldview things are changing. Where's that coming from? It's coming from this, that my friend is trustworthy. My friend is loyal. My friend is not walking away. My friend has the courage to speak the truth to him in an atmosphere of love. And that's what begins to shift in us as we come to Jesus that way and discover that he's true 
and he's faithful. He won't abandon us. He won't walk away from us. That very passage in Romans 15, if you read a little more of it, you're going to hear an incredible description of who Jesus is and his loyalty and his faithfulness. You and I grow hope as we get to know him more. As we spend time with him, we let the text of the scripture speak to us and we come to it with humility and we, we learn and we grow to know who he is because as we know who he is and his faithfulness and his undying commitment to us, our trust and dependency grows in him and then we face a world that's chaotic and, and traumatic and we actually discover hope. You don't, you don't just drift into hope. You make intentional choices about knowing Jesus and getting to know his character and hope is a result. Hope is infectious. Did you know that? You, you always, it'll all, whatever's inside will come out. So if you live without hope, it comes out. But if you live with hope in him, it comes out as well. It's like a sneeze. Did you know that a sneeze can travel 27 feet? Who knew? Do you know that when you sneeze, you sneeze at 100 and some miles an hour? You can't outrun a sneeze. Some of you have gotten COVID. You know that you can't outrun, right? Well, in a way, hope is like that too. You, if it's in you, it comes out. And it infects other people around. You're a light on a hill. And this is what we're invited to be, to be agents of hope where we live and work and play. And what an opportunity it is in a really challenged world right now to be that very thing. Can I encourage you to try one thing this week? Here's one thing that builds hope, is being hope. Intentionally being hope. So this week, would you, just a challenge for you. If you would every day send a hope text, a hope note, or a hope phone call to somebody, one a day, and just write them with some message of hope. Maybe, you know, do the Google search for, uh, you know, quotes that bring hope and see what you find and send it to someone. Watch what happens in you and other people as that contagious nature of hope not only grabs you in fresh ways, but it actually, you see it in three dimensions how it impacts other people. Our hope is in a resurrected Savior. That's where we garner our hope from. I want to invite you to pray with me as we think about this week. Jesus, as we think about together what it means to be people of hope, uh, inevitably, our attention comes back to you and to who you are in us. And we discover, Jesus, again, that if we don't have much of a friendship or we don't know much about you and we haven't walked with you in ways that are intentional of building a friendship and and gaining knowledge and understanding and awareness of you. Oftentimes our hope is depleted or it runs out quickly or we get sucked into the vortex of negativity and chaos. Jesus, might it be that we would pursue you, that we would increasingly do every minute of our lives with you. And then Jesus says we do that, would you increasingly, naturally form your way of thinking in us so we, in turn, could be people who are mistaken for the hope we have in you, Jesus. Would you do that through us? May we be agents of the hope that we have in you, and we'll be grateful for it, Jesus. Amen.